welcome you back. All right, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. We've been doing uh, kind of a short series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, looked at chapter 2, we looked at chapter 10. So 2 is kind of don't drift away from the faith that you've uh, placed in Christ. Chapter 10 was the call to persevere, uh, doing some of that. Today, is chapter 4 is talking about a Sabbath rest for God's people, so I've entitled that Sabbath. <laughs> Sabbath rest for the people of God. Amen. Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hey, just a little bit of, uh, so le- today is Labor Day weekend, right? And so we're glad that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes people get away on Labor Day and you guys are here, so it's a good thing. Um, But Labor Day, I don't know if you know a lot of the history of Labor Day, but it's an annual celebration, of course, of workers and their achievements. It originated um, in the 1800s, late 1800s. I didn't realize it went back that far. Um, But it was in the late 1800s. It was at the height of the Industrial Revolution in the United States. Um, Just a little perspective. The average American worked about 12-hour days, seven days a week. So it's out of there that some of your labor unions would begin. Um, It was during that time period that children as young as five and six would toil in mills and factories and mines across the country, okay? And so we know that then there was laws that were later adopted to um, child labor laws and stuff like that. Now it's, it's even got, you know, detasseling in Nebraska. I think you have, don't you have to be like 16 or something now? I don't know. They've changed some of that, so um, just the age qualifications there. Um, but it was a time that it, it recognized um, people's achievements and their labor and their hard work. Um, and so Gr- Grover Cleveland, I don't know a lot about Grover Cleveland, but this is one of the things that he made kind of, it w- had been celebrated in different states, but in 1894 is when he uh, made it an official holiday. A national holiday. Amen? So, um, from Scripture, we're going to look at Sabbath. So that kind of ties in well with Labor Day, right? You work hard, you also need to take a Sabbath, right? Um, I don't mind working hard, but I also like to get a good rest in. So, um, so growing up, Sunday was a day of rest for us. Um, so back in those days, uh, you went to, you grew up in a small town in North Dakota, um, but I th- it was across our nation back in those days that a lot of things were not open on a Sunday, right? It was a Sunday laws, right? And I kind of went back in time a little bit. I taught in Exuma in the Bahamas here about probably about eight years ago, and it was kind of weird. It's a small island there. Um, they were <laughs> these beautiful sandy beaches, and nobody were on. You know, nobody was on them hardly at all. So it's a it's a beautiful island, um, but. Uh, and there's a church there, so I taught at their church there, Bible school. But it was weird because nothing was open on Sunday. So if you needed to get your car filled up with gas, you needed to do it before Sunday, right? Because nothing was open on Sunday. So it was just kind of weird to go and step back into that and see if there's still places in the world that that happens. So, um, so Sabbath. So there was a time in our nation's history where we observed that kind of that Sunday was the Sabbath rest for people, all right? 
Um, we know that today that, that is, that's just non-existent for the most part. There are some businesses that are still aren't open on Sundays, and some wrestle with them. But in Old Testament times, the Sabbath day was pretty important to God's people, all right? Um, and it wasn't like a suggestion. It was like, hey, you are going to follow the Sabbath. Now, it wasn't on Sunday. It was on what day of the week? It was on Saturday, right? began Friday night and went through sunset on Saturday. So um, it was, that was considered the Sabbath day. So I want us to look at um, Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to do a little background and then jump into our passage in Hebrews. But before we do, let's just bow our heads in prayer and just invite God's presence. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to just uh, discover and dive into your word this morning. I pray that it speaks to us. Uh, it is your life-changing word, and we want it to speak to us today. We give you the thanks, ask it in your name, amen. Amen. I want us to see what the Sabbath day was for the Old Testament believer. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 is where we'll start off. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So it's supposed to be a gift of worship to God, and by doing so, they were setting themselves apart from other nations, other people of the world. Um, and it was so. It was in that way. It was an act of worship. On it, you, sh- you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six, in the six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But then He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, so even God, when he did creation, in six days he created it, and on the seventh day he rested. And so he was putting something in place for us to follow. Now, let's shift to the New Testament, Mark chapter 2, verses 23, and then it goes into chapter 3, verse 6. Um, So there was some tension here just with the Sabbath day. And it had become very um, legalistic, okay? Things they could do, things that they couldn't do, all right? And then Jesus was really trying to bring out the truth of it, that it is not just a, a thing that you check the box. When I was growing up, I felt like that's what the Sabbath was, all right? Couldn't do anything on Sunday except for go to church, okay? All right, maybe that was the way it was for you growing up. And so we could go to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, watch football, football, watching football on Sunday was okay. Could watch the Vikings play and, and watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, I think at 5 o'clock. All right, and then we'd go and to church. All right, but it was very much, I couldn't go hang out with my friends or go hunting or anything like that on a Sunday afternoon. That was a day to maybe take a nap in the afternoon or, or to do things like that. So there was very rigid, okay? Verse 23. On the Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. So common practice was to plant out to the edge and to take some of that. It was kind of like their version of fast food. They could grab some of that and munch on it as they went along the road. The Pharisees said to him, Look, they are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, have you never read that David, when he and his companions were hungry and in need, in the days of Abiathar the priest, they entered the house of God and ate some of the consecrated bread, which was unlawful for the priest to eat? And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Okay, so catch that. 
In other words, God put the Sabbath in place not for himself, but for you and I, right? That we need that day of rest, okay? So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. And then you go into chapter 3. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill? But they remained silent and they looked around. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And so Jesus was saying, you know what? The Sabbath day wasn't just a rule to be kept. It was a gift to us that we should have a day in the week that we take time to rest, to refresh our body, our soul, and our mind. Now, in some cultures, in some parts of our nation, you can't get people to work, all right? But usually in the Midwest here, we we sometimes have the opposite problem that sometimes we can be workaholics and we work too hard. And, you know, if you have a a ranch or a farm or whatever, you know, you have to figure out, okay, the cows still need to be milked, right? The chickens, you know, you still need to get their eggs. And you you, you wrestle with some of those things, right? Um, As a mom and dad, you still have to change dirty diapers, right? Um, you can't just say, hey, it's the Sabbath day. <laughs> Tough luck, kiddo. You're going to have to wait till Monday, right? <laughs> um, you all suffer, right? Um, so you have to figure it out. But what God is saying is I want you to have this gift that you set aside time to refresh your body, soul, and mind. Um, it's an act of worship, but it's also for mankind. All right, so you're catching that out? So Paul will later then say in Colossians that no day is sacred. What is important is that we take a day to rest and feed our soul. So the early church practiced their Sabbath day on what day? After the resurrection of Jesus, the church began to meet on Sunday. Why? Because of the resurrection, correct. And so the Sabbath day then... um, shifted for them, for those early believers, it shifted from Saturday to that Sunday morning. This is what Paul says in Colossians. He says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So I don't have this as a point, but you could put this down as a point, that the Sabbath is a picture of what is to come. In other words, so not only is it a gift to us to have a day of rest to replenish our body, our soul, and our mind, but it also was something, a visual for us to say, you know what, there's going to someday be something that's on a grander scale that is a day of rest for God's people. You following that? So it wasn't just for just the Sabbath day, but it was point ahead to what is to come. And much of the Old Testament is like that. The temple was, the sacrifices were, the high priests, all those things were a picture to foreshadow what Christ would do and what was ahead. All right? 
So um, let's look a little bit closer at the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 4. So we see what the immediate application was to the book, uh, to uh, the Sabbath day. But now the author of Hebrews is going to spring from that to what it means for us down the road. Okay, verses 1 through 11 and Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For if we have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed entered that rest just as God has says. So I declared an oath, an oath in my anger that they will never enter my rest. So the rest there is talking about the Sabbath rest for God's people. All right. And so... Now we see that the Sabbath was more than just the seventh day. It was pointing ahead to heaven, right? That one day we're going to set aside all our labor and our toil and we're going to be in the presence of God. And it's a picture of a Sabbath day on a grand scale. You following that? That's what he's talking about. And he said, some of you are in danger. You're not going to get any rest. You're not going to enter God's promise that he has for us, the gift of heaven. So let's keep reading here. He says, And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them, did not go in because of their disobedience. So it's referring back to chapter 3. They died in the wilderness and never entered the promised land because of their unbelief. Verse 7, God again said a certain day, calling it today. This is when he, when a long time later he spoke through David, as it is in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua had given them rest, If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken uh, later about another day. So what he is saying is that the Sabbath was referring to the seventh day, but it also was a picture of them entering the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. But if that would have been fulfilled when they entered the promised land, it wouldn't talk about yet still another day yet to come. And so that's sometimes talked about too. When we talk about heaven, we talk about it as the promised land, right? We enter into heaven. So that's what this is referring to. Um, there, there remains then a Sabbath day for rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now you remember, if, if you've been following us in this series, that these Hebrew believers came out of Judaism and they had accepted the message of Christ, but they were getting persecution from what were called the Judaizers. They, they followed the law, but they hadn't embraced Christ. And so they were putting pressure on these believers to go back to the, the Old Testament sacrifices and the old way of doing things and to leave Christ behind. And that was a very real danger. That's why the author of Hebrews says, don't drift away from your faith and persevere to the end. Why? Because he wants them to 
have the promise of heaven. He doesn't want them to be like the people there in the wilderness that all died there over the 40 years and never entered the promised land because of their unbelief. And so the message here and the principle we see, the first principle is that we must combine the message we have heard with faith. That's what these believers in the wilderness failed to do, that they started off with some faith, they began to trust God, they went into the wilderness, and then their hearts became hard, and they didn't believe. And so they died in the wilderness without hope, without faith in God. And the author of Hebrews wants us to not drift away, but to put our faith in Christ and to hear the message that we have heard and combine it with faith. That's important. So how many have worked with epoxy glue, right? Now, if you just squirt out one side of it and try to glue something together, is it going to work? No, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to get hard. It's not going to be sticky. It's only when you mix those two parts together that it works, right? Now, I see some smiles out there. So some of you have had some experiences with this, okay, Uh, that probably haven't gone well. So I don't know what, okay, (laughs) but... Okay, but you need both parts, right? I think one's the hardener and one is the, help me out. I know one's the hardener, I think, right? And then the other one's the active ingredient or whatever. But when those two are mixed, then it forms a bond, it forms a seal that works. The same thing is we can hear the word of God, right? We can hear what God has spoken to us. We can hear the message of salvation. In fact, a lot of people in the United States probably have heard the message of the gospel in some way, shape, or form. Maybe on the radio, or maybe they've watched ESPN on game day and they see that Jesus saves right on the big banner, right? They've probably seen it in some way, shape, or form. Now, have they had a, somebody share with them that they know that says, hey, you know, Jesus changed my life, and I invited him into my heart, and he made all the difference? Maybe they haven't had that but they probably know that there's a person that people call Jesus and there's you know religious people out there or whatever. You can know that, but if that message is not combined with faith, it's no good. You following it? And so the author of Hebrews is saying you have to hear the message, but it must be combined with faith because if it's unbelief, that's what ultimately saves us is faith in God. We are saved by grace through faith It's not of ourselves, it's a gift from God. It's a gift of God. And if we have unbelief in our heart, then there's no faith in God. So we're going to talk about faith. That is coming up here next week or two. We'll talk about Hebrews 11, what faith is. But we have to combine the message that we have heard with faith. Um. The consequence of unrepentant disobedience is a hard heart. And sometimes I, I, uh, I do a little teaching on this. I, when I was growing up, I felt like if I sinned, you know, whether big or small, you know, maybe disobeyed my parents, lied to my parents. I never did that, really. Um, that man, boom, I lost my salvation. Now, I don't believe that today. I do believe, so... If I mess up, if I sin, I think that's why grace is there, that there's, there's some lenience there through the ups and downs. But the danger of sin is that one sin leads to another sin. And usually they start out smaller and they get bigger. And what it does is it 
it hardens your heart towards God. It takes you from a place of faith and belief in God to a place of unbelief. And at some point you cross a threshold. I do not know that. God knows that. But you cross a threshold where there is no longer faith in your heart to trust Him and to believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. Can you lose your faith? I, I, I do believe it's not, you know, if you have faith in God, I don't think there's anybody that can take God out of, you out of God's hand. But if I willfully sin and go down that path, at some point I believe my faith goes from unbelief, from faith to unbelief, okay? All right. That is the warning here is he wants them to combine the message that they have heard and combine it by faith. So we must combine that message with faith. Number two, let's go to verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is alive and active. David would say that he would talk about the living God and living water. Um, and so there's some kind of same comparison there. But the word of God is alive and active. In other words, it's more than just words on a page, folks, that you read. When we get God's word into our heart and our life, it changes and it transforms us. And I, I on the scale of 1 to 10, I probably know the Bible maybe on a 7, okay? There's people out there that know the Bible a lot better than I do. I don't know where you would put yourself on that scale of knowing the Word of God. But to know the Word of God is one thing, but to let it speak into our life is another thing. And the only way you can let it speak into your life is whether you read it, you have it memorized, Somehow you listen to it. You have to get it into your heart and your mind so that the Holy Spirit then then can take it and make it come alive to you. Amen? It is alive and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit. Now, soul and spirit are kind of like, like that. All right? Not much difference between soul and spirit. Okay? So to separate them is like you're taking like a microsurgeon. Okay? It's very close. All right? Joints and marrow, okay? It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of heart. In other words, it's able to judge our hearts like nothing else can. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, so we can fool people, we can fool our parents, we can fool our neighbors, we can fool our friends. You can't fool God, can you? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That's scary, isn't it? also cool but God knows everything you've done you know when sometimes we have a hard time confessing things to God it's kind of like he knows it right he knows it all everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account the second principle that we see there is we must allow God's word to judge our life we must allow God's word to judge our life like a sword or a knife, it is able to penetrate our heart like nothing else and expose attitudes, behaviors, and thoughts that do not honor God. The Israelites criticized the Word of God instead of allowing it, the Word of God, to judge them. Catch that? They criticized the Word of God instead of allowing the Word of God to direct, to judge, critique them. Because they failed to enter God's rest, they failed also to allow God's Word they failed to enter God's rest because they failed to allow God's word to judge them. Now, so we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty here. So a man went into the restaurant. 
sits down. He wants a good steak. So since I'm telling the story, it's going to be a ribeye, okay? All right, because that's what I like. All right. And so the, the waiter says, so yeah, what do you want for your choice potato? You can do mashed potatoes. You can do baked potato. Those are the two options he had, and salad and all that stuff. And the man says, you know what? Um, he goes, I am going to go with the baked potato. I've been here six years. I've come into this establishment, and I've never seen potato peels on the floor, right? He goes, I want the baked potato. Why? Because he assumed that the mashed potatoes were instant, right? They're ma made out of a bag, you know, mixed together, right? He didn't want instant potatoes. He wanted the real thing. And if you have real mashed potatoes, it means you have to go through the work of peeling the potato, taking out the bad spots and cutting them out. There's some work involved there, right? But it's the real deal, the real mashed potatoes. It can even get a little messy, can it? But it's a process. The thing is, instant potatoes don't work in God's economy. People don't come through these church doors and you got an instant Christian, right? They're potatoes. And God's word speaks into our life and he begins to remove the things that don't, don't align with him. And he speaks to us. Now, he doesn't do it all at once. That's why I allow the Holy Spirit to do his thing. And I, I think there was a time in the church where people came through the church doors and that they had long hair and they, they maybe looked like a hippie. They probably were a hippie in some of those days, right? And, and they had a hunger for God, but the church says, oh, you have to cut your hair, or you have to do this, you have to do that. It had nothing to do with their heart, right? It had nothing to do with their heart. What I, what I have experienced is that when people come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit is working and alive in their life. And if people get into the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is there, God begins to work on the things that He thinks are important to work on in their lives. And eventually, usually God gets around to dealing with the things that I may be concerned about or you may be concerned about. But God will take care of that. And He begins to remove the skins. He begins to remove the bad spots until we're the product that He wants. You following me? Colossians chapter 3, 5 through 14 says, Put to death, therefore, all that belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, any kind of sexual activity outside the confines of marriage between a man and a wife. That was what Scripture would qualify that. Impurity, that's a pretty broad term. It just means anything that's not pure. Lustful, strong thoughts. Usually we put that in the sexual context. Evil desires, greed, so greed would include looking at Facebook and saying, oh, I wish I had that that my neighbor had, okay? Yeah. Social media sometimes can make us very unhappy, all right? Because of these, the wrath of God has come, and you used to walk in these ways, okay? So they were raw potatoes in a life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, Filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all. Christ is all and in, in all. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anything, of, uh, if any of you have a grievance against one another, do that. Forgive one another as for God gave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Wow. We must allow the Word of God to judge our life, to speak to us. Um, that's why it's so important to get into the Word of God because um, I like getting into Proverbs. I like getting into Psalms. I like getting into Paul's writings because Paul will tell you if you're living a good life or not. It's kind of like, ooh, okay, I need to change, right? And Proverbs just really has a lot to do about wisdom for living. And we need the Word of God to speak into our life because we have a culture that's telling us that a lot of things are okay, all right? My friends are doing it. TV says it's doing it. It must be okay, right? But we have to get into God's Word and let God's Word speak into our life and let it judge us. That's not our role as a believer in Christ to judge others. Let's clarify that. Whose job is it? It's God and His Word. Amen? And to listen to His Holy Spirit. That's where we sang that song earlier, I Surrender All. I believe that was just a song that just kind of fits in here today. That God is speaking to us. That I allow God to speak into my life. Is it painful? I'm going to have the musicians come. Musician. <laughs> is it painful? Yeah, it can be. Sometimes God speaks into my life and it's kind of like, oh, that hurts, God. God, I know it's wrong, but I don't want to change. You ever been there? I like sin sometimes. You ever had that? Can we be honest? I don't think people, if sin was no fun, I don't think people would be doing sinful things. All right? Now, it has a cost. There's... There's a cost. There's wages of sin, folks. It comes back. You can give to God, and I think God blesses you, but when you sin, it comes back in a hundredfold too. Right? What you reap, you sow what you reap. And uh, God forgives us of our sin, but there's always consequences for sin. Often, uh, that part doesn't leave. But the author of Hebrews is really concerned about that they would enter that Sabbath rest. So just as we work hard throughout the week, you know, sweat, work hard, our brain is tired. Our uh, oldest son went with us to the game yesterday, and it was his only day off. He has a busy day today. He had a full week, and he's introverted. So he, he works manages a Verizon in Omaha, so it's busy. He's working with people, so he needs that downtime to refresh. And so he was kind of like, oh, this is a busy day. <laughs> Being out in the stadium is all hot. Um, we need that day to recharge, amen? But if it's not just for now. It's looking ahead to the future, to when Jesus comes again, the author said, you know what, just as that Sabbath day is important to us now, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Make sure you enter that rest. Amen? Because one day we're going to set all these things aside, the things of this world, that we don't know when He's going to return, right? It could be today, it could be 10 years from now, 5 years from now, 100 years from now, 100 years, I don't know. We know that He is coming and He's going to come back for His people. 
we need to have a heart that believes. Amen? Would you stand this morning? Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident that God, what God had started in your life, in my life, in his life, God would bring it to completion. And if it's like remodeling a house, I still have a basement that needs to be painted. I started on it, and it's been on hold almost a year now. Not quite. It's going to get done. All right? And sometimes that's what happens in our life as well, that God makes some really good progress, and then we kind of stall out. But Paul was confident that what God has started in your life, he's going to complete. Amen? And he was factoring in just who we are, that we're human, our weakness, our struggles. He is big enough to complete what he has started in our life, what he started in me, what he has started in you. And sometimes the wilderness will test our heart. Sometimes the things of this life will test our heart. We saw that in COVID. Um, Some people walked away from the church during that time for various reasons. Sometimes just the hardness of life will, will cause us to walk away. Don't let go of God's Sabbath rest. Take the message you have heard, combine it with faith. Amen? I'm going to close this with a prayer, just a faith in Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I'm going to invite you, but also those that are here, just to pray with me. I believe if we take the message we've heard and combine it with faith, that God honors that prayer this morning and begin on a journey to trust Him and to know Him. So let's pray together, saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and into my life. I accept you by faith and what you did on the cross. Be my Lord and my Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I believe if you prayed that in faith with your heart, I believe God honors that. Father, I pray your hand upon God's people today. Lord God, refresh us, renew us, Lord. And Lord, let us take the message that we've heard in the book of Hebrews, Lord. None of us is too great or too solid that our faith can't be shaken. And so, Lord God, give us the faith that we need to trust you, to hold on, as we talked about last week, to hold on and to never let go, Lord God, of your promises. Because he who promised is faithful, and he will do it. Father, this morning I pray that we can live our lives gracefully broken before you, whether we're just starting out in our walk with you or we've been walking with you many years. To live our life before you, Lord God, no life is this picture-perfect life. But it's you forming that masterpiece of who you've called us and created us to be, Lord God. And even some of the things that we would consider flaws, mistakes, Lord, you take and make them something beautiful, Lord God. And so, God, work in our lives. Let your word 
judge us, transform us, lead us, guide us into who you've called us to be, to be the people of God. Lord, we go with us this week, be with our family gatherings this weekend, uh, today and tomorrow, Lord God. Let your grace and mercy go with us, Lord, and let us be the salt of the world and the light of the world. We give you the thanks, we give you the praise, and we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Shake hands as you greet. Leave today. Greet one another. God bless you this morning.